Thank you, beloved. Thank you for having me back. Um, I will be, as I shared with you last Lord's Day, uh, officially retiring from uh, assistant pastor at Westminster at the end of July. Uh, but I appreciate uh, opportunities throughout Presbytery to, uh, to preach, and I'm grateful, grateful to you for being kind to your pastor. Um, many might wonder, uh, wouldn't I like to have a sabbatical in my job? Well, um, yes, you would, and you might well deserve one. Uh, but the office of pastor uh, is unique in the uh, burden that comes with it of being 24-7 caring for the sheep. And uh, you will reap the dividends of giving your shepherd an extended period of rest, and I uh, commend your session and your congregation for being sensitive and um, giving Jeff and Nancy a time to be away this summer. Thank you. I invite you to go with me to what I call the Gospel of Zechariah. I hope by the end of the sermon you'll understand why I like to call it the Gospel of Zechariah. It's easy to find. Just go to Matthew and back up two books. There you are. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the post-exilic prophets. Uh, they ministered to God's people after the Jews came home from 70 years in the woodshed in Babylon, which they well deserved and well earned. Uh, but God is faithful to his covenant. He will discipline, but he will not disown. And so after 70 years of um, a spanking uh, for their contemptuous idolatry, um, he faithfully answers the prayer of Daniel and brings some 50,000 Jews back uh, to their homeland under the leadership of Governor Zerubbabel and High Priest Joshua, not the Joshua that walked around the walls of Jericho. Joshua was a very... A familiar name in the Old Testament, lots of Joshua's, um, and this Joshua uh, labors along. He's the high priest. God raises up Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, they were contemporaries. Um, Zechariah begins his ministry two months after Haggai begins his. So they're, they've got the same congregation. They might think of them as co-pastors. And um, I'm sure they were great encouragement to one another. Most of the Old Testament prophets labored by themselves. Um, but Haggai and Zechariah labored together. Um, prophets of encouragement. And would you give ear as I read the first six verses of Ask You to Stand for the Reading of God's Word. Zechariah 1, 1 through 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Barakai, the son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. 
your fathers, where are they now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they reproved, uh, repented, and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Our Father, we have read Scripture, um, which remains valid because it is infallible. It is the very breath of the living God, of the God of hosts. And so we have full expectation that these words will speak to us as we consider them together here this morning. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that he would lead us correctly uh, in both an understanding and an application. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, 69 years ago, this past Tuesday, June 6th, was D-Day. Uh, what one could rightly say was the beginning of the end of World War II, the invasion of the Allied forces on the beaches of France. We commemorate that, and rightly so. We probably don't think as much about the physical devastation of Europe following that great war. Uh, the years and years of rebuilding, of putting the pieces back together. We think of our own country and its noble Marshall Plan, uh, where U.S. tax dollars by the millions were set to rebuild even Germany, the one that had been our enemy. Uh, I think a, a great uh, act of nobility on the part of our nation. Well, there's some similarity uh, to that event and the events that are surrounding Pastor Haggai and Pastor Zachariah's ministry. Zachariah was appointed by God to speak hope, encouragement, to nearly 50,000 discouraged Jews uh, who were wearisome. Uh, they were asking, how do we pick up the pieces? I'm sure much as the citizens of Europe were asking in the late 40s. Can we start over? Or have we lost God's favor? For, have we sinned one too many times. God has returned us, but is he done with us? Is he finished? Is he going to find another people who are not so stiff-necked, so prone to idolatry? They came back to a physically devastated homeland, and especially their beloved city of Jerusalem. We read these verses from Lamentations, chapter 1, written by Jeremiah shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. 
she who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Those are the poetic words of Pastor Jeremiah describing the heartbreak uh, that fell upon Jerusalem because of her sinfulness. Well, in 606, or in 586, the third and final invasion of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and his armies of Babylon uh, attacked and laid siege to Jerusalem three times. First visit, they skimmed the cream of the crop, the most highly educated. Daniel was taken captive in 606. They came a second time in the 590s. And this time they took the skilled craftsmen. And Ezekiel was scooped up in that second invasion and taken. Daniel would be the prophet, the, the city prophet. Uh, Ezekiel would be the prophet in the refugee camps. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes for this third and final time in 586, and this time utterly destroys, not leaving one stone upon another of the city of Jerusalem. He left a few Jews to work the fields and tend the crops, which would then be given to Babylon. Well, in 536... King Cyrus issues an edict extending to the Jews the possibility, the freedom to return to their homeland, to rebuild their nation, to rebuild their city, if they so desired. Isaiah said that would happen 200 years before Isaiah had written, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And why will, and he will fulfill my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed one, he shall build my city and set my exiles free. I think I said Darius a moment ago, but it was Cyrus, the Persian king, who was moved by God's spirit to give the Jews their freedom after 70 years. And just a minority, only 50,000 of the hundreds of thousands who could have returned, they knew it would be arduous, they knew it would be difficult, even dangerous. Uh, and so only 50,000 Jewish expatriates went back home under, I said a moment ago, the leadership of Governor Zerubbabel and High Priest Joshua. 
they began immediately to rebuild the temple, but during their 70-year absence, what you and I might be tempted to call carpetbaggers had moved in. Samaritans, other Canaanite tribes, who in the absence of the Jews decided they would take possession of the land. And, and when the Jews returned in 536, um, they ran into severe opposition. Nehemiah and Ezra gives us those historical accounts. You have men like Tobiah and Sanballat who mocked and ridiculed and threatened physical violence against the Jews as they tried to rebuild Jerusalem. And so the Jews became discouraged and they quit. And there was a 15-year gap when the Jews were tending their own fields and building their own barns, but doing nothing to restore the walls of Jerusalem or to rebuild the temple. And it's that that prompted God to raise up Haggai and Zechariah, uh, a team of prophets, to bring words of encouragement and exhortation um, to cause the Jews to once again um, restore their city and to rebuild the temple. Haggai comes in 520 and Zechariah two months later. Now again, Scripture never gives us information that's not important. Very few of the prophets give us a family tree. But here we have one. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, the son of Iddo. Well, who cares? You do. Or should. We don't have a three-generation family tree for Jeremiah, or for Isaiah, or Malachi. Why do we have a three-generation family tree for Zechariah, son of Barakiah, son of Iddo? Well, when we get our Hebrew dictionaries out, we find out that Zechariah's name means Jehovah remembers. Jehovah remembers. Do you remember what remember means nine out of ten times in the Old Testament? When we use the word remember, we, it's, we, we recall something. I remember I had a donut for breakfast. Might as well confess my sins. But the Old Testament Hebrew verb, remember, is an action verb. When God remembers, he does something. God remembered Noah after 13 months. And the next line, he sends a mighty wind to drive over. Now, God hadn't lost track. He hadn't forgotten when it says that God remembered Noah, it means God took deliberate steps. When the thief asked Jesus to remember him, was he just asking Jesus to recall that they died next? No. That was a plea that Jesus would take deliberate action, do something in regard for his eternal soul. When Hannah asked God to remember her and enable her to have a child, God opened it. God acted. It's, it's in our scripture reading, our assurance of pardon. I, I am the Lord, uh, and I will 
blot out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Does that mean God has a fault? He doesn't remember? Of course he knows our sins. That promises that God will not take deliberate, judgmental action against our sins because he did that against Christ, our substitute. And so Zachariah's name means Jehovah remembers. Jehovah takes action. It's an action verb. His daddy, Barakiah. Barakiah's name means Jehovah blesses. Jehovah takes deliberate action to bless, and Grandpa's name is Ido. Ido's name means in his time, in his season, in his providence. You put those three generations together. Jehovah takes deliberate steps to bless in his good time. And that's the theme of the book of Zechariah. That's what the whole book of Zechariah is about. That after 70 years in the spiritual woodshed of Babylon, God is now taking deliberate steps to bless at this particular time. And that's the theme of the book of Zechariah. That's the gospel. That's the good news. <clears throat> Zechariah and his dad and his granddad were Levitical priests. They were descendants of Aaron as Jeremiah and Ezekiel were. Most of the prophets came from other tribes, but Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah were um, Levitical priests, descendants of Aaron. Zechariah is the longest of the 12 minor prophets, 14 chapters. It is apocalyptic literature, especially the latter part of the book. I've taught high schoolers, and can we study Revelation? Can we study Revelation? Yes, after we study Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. Because Revelation is a New Testament commentary. And if you want to study Revelation without studying Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah, then you might as well take calculus before you take algebra. Doesn't work. Ah, well, maybe we don't want to study Revelation then. Zechariah is uh, quoted many times in Revelation. It's a, it's a preamble. And John, who wrote Revelation, assumed his audience had a working knowledge of Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, and all the imagery, all the apocalyptic language in those three books. So, always study Revelation after Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. Zechariah was a young man probably in his 20s. Um, and his death is recorded in Matthew 23, 35, one of the few prophets where we have uh, any details about their death. Jesus is speaking to uh, the Pharisees and the elders, uh, the false teachers of his day. And in Matthew 23, 35, Jesus says, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth beginning with the blood of righteous Abel and down to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. We don't have any account in the Old Testament of the murder of Zechariah. If it wasn't for that reference in Matthew 23, we would not know anything about Zechariah's death. We don't know anything about his family life, his 
wife or potential children or whatever, but we know that he died a martyr because of his faithful preaching of God's word. I have just one main point. Aren't you glad since the introduction took 15 minutes? Um, one major point in these first six verses. Um, I'll be with you two more times, not next week, but then the next two. And um, I'll give you the next two sermons. I just finished three-year series at Westminster um, on Zechariah. I won't give you all three years. Uh, but uh, while it's fresh in my mind, we'll just get the first three at least. Uh, but just these first six verses this morning. And really the, the question that leaps off the page here, that's in the forefront of the thinking of these discouraged, hassled, uh, threatened refugees who are trying to put um, Jerusalem back together again. Uh, the question is, how can we return to God's favor? How can we get back into God's good graces? Um, a part of our Reformed worship is, is that we have a confession of sin. Well, didn't I do that when I became a Christian? Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. If you'd stopped sinning when you became a Christian, then I guess that would have been enough, but you haven't stopped, have you? Neither have I. And so confession of sin is a, a part of corporate worship every week. Um, and uh, so th that's the question. Have we committed the unpardonable sin they might have been thinking in the back of their minds? Um, God warned and, and we sinned, and God warned and we sinned, and have, have we worn out our welcome? Uh, verse 2 says, The Lord was very angry with your father. It's hard to translate that in English. It's a superlative. It's uh, the Lord was displeased with displeasure. He was really quite angry. Uh, extreme anger. Uh, because of your forefathers. Um, the, the golden calf and everything that came after that. The, um, Ahab and Jezebel and the bringing of Baal worship and over and over and over again. Uh, Romans 1.18, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's not that Israel didn't have the truth. That word suppress that Paul uses there in Romans 1, uh, all of you have been in a swimming pool with a big beach ball. And you take that big beach pole and you push it under the water. But as soon as you remove your hands, poof, it's right back up. The only way to keep that beach ball is you must suppress it. You must intentionally, deliberately force it. And that's what Paul is saying is your nature and my nature. It's not that we mean to do well and just, no. We are born slaves to sin. Paul says that we are committed to ungodliness and unrighteousness, and we suppress, we deliberately reject God's truth. And that's what the Israelites had done, and that's what had provoked God's anger. 
Lord Almighty, have you, it's in ESV, it's Lord of Hosts, 52 times in the book of Zechariah, the Lord of Hosts, it's sort of the signature phrase that Zechariah uses, means the Lord Almighty. Um, it's used in um, 1 Samuel 1, when Hannah prays desperately in the tabernacle. She says, to the Lord of hosts, remember your handmaiden. Um, and we find it scattered throughout uh, the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah uses it in uh, Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. He uses the Lord of hosts term there. Well, the prerequisite for receiving God's forgiveness is repentance, clear and simple. Verse 3, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord Almighty, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. The door is not shut. It's wide open. God's mercies are new every morning. The only contingency is a right heart. Our catechism defines what repentance is. Question 87 in the Shorter Catechism. What is repentance unto life, we read. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Right there, that tells me that it's something that I cannot generate within myself. It's not me just thinking holy thoughts as hard as I can think them. <clears throat> Repentance such as, as is faith is a gift of God's grace, a kindness that he grants. Repentance unto life is a saving grace wherein a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God, in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God, with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Repentance is a turning from and a turning to. A turning from with revulsion, our love of sin, and a turning to the sin bearer the one who took in his body on the tree uh, full punishment for our sins. Returning to God is repetitive. As I mentioned, we don't just have a confession of sin once, but it's in corporate worship a part of our weekly liturgy, and rightfully so. Repentance is process, not event. Repentance is process, not event. Boy, I'll show my age. A few of you. Brian O'Neill um, and Allie McGraw, 1970. Love story. And the key line... Love means never 
having to say you're sorry. Nonsense. Absolute heresy. If you've been married five minutes or more, you know that's not true. <laughs> Love means seeking forgiveness over and over and over again. And repentance is telling God we're sorry over and over. Repentance is repetitive not a one-time event. Daniel had prayed in chapter 9 while he was in Babylon that God would see fit to show mercy and kindness, hessed love, as David did to Mephibosheth last week. Daniel prayed that God would show that same kind of hessed love to the nation of Israel and that Daniel might live to see, and Daniel did live to see, he did not return himself, but he did live to see God's hessed love and Israel having the opportunity to return. Daniel had given up uh, restoring Jerusalem, or the Jews had given up restoring Jerusalem, as I said moments ago, because of the likes of Sanballat and Tobiah and, and uh, the other uh, Samaritans and so forth who had moved into the land. Do you ever have times uh, when the spiritual Sanballat's in your life? Uh, are you in the business of temple building? I mean, uh, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Went to Israel last month with some folks not exactly of the Reformed persuasion and great excitement about when you think you can build the temple. That's all I could do to stand up and say, he already is. I go to the temple every Sunday morning. I'm surrounded by the temple. The bride of Christ Paul says in Galatians that the church is the new Israel. Wouldn't you love to go see the holy city? Yeah, I see it every Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm Jerusalem, okay. But the bride of Christ, these temples that the Holy Spirit is putting back together, restoring, making new, that's where it's at. God's grace is greater than our sin. That's the second point. First is that repentance is the way back. And the encouragement is that God's grace is greater than my sin. Jeremiah 3, we read, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord, and I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice 
declares the Lord. John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, in his old age, one of the last things that he wrote, I have grown old and poor of eyesight. John Newton says, this one thing I know, I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. That was Zachariah's message to the discouraged, downheartened refugees of his day. It was the message of Jeremiah. It's the message of the New Testament. That while we were yet sinners, God commended his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is our incentive for repentance. However great our sin and backsliding, God is ready and willing to receive all of us who will return. We read 1 John 1 earlier in the service. My little children, I write these things to you that you sin not. But if you do, but when you do sin, not if. John says, but when you do sin, remember, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You have a defense attorney. Well, I'm, I'm going to preach that in three weeks. I won't go there. <laughs> it fits right here, but I won't go there. We have an advocate who will plead our case. He will never plead that we are innocent, but that would not be honest. But he will plead that the debt has been paid in full. And there is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. The sin is real, the guilt is real. But the redemption is real. Bottom line is, God has not and will not abandon his people. That's the message of Zechariah. Hebrews 12. No discipline for the moment is pleasant, but indeed is grievous, but in the end it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God is a good parent. He disciplines. One of the best evidences that you're a true Christian is that God gets on your case. If you can sin comfortably, then you ought to be alarmed if you're really in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, your Father is going to be on your case. He whom the Lord loves disciplines, he spanks, but he does not disown. And that's the gospel of Zechariah. There's going to be eight visions that God gives to Zechariah all in one night. He didn't get much sleep. The Lord gives to Zechariah, beginning next time I'm with you, eight visions. We'll study a couple of them. And they all say the same thing. They're all different 
pictures of the gospel that God is in the reclamation business, not the junkyard business. God is in the reclamation business, not the junkyard business. And he who has begun a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. Be encouraged, saints of the Lord, pilgrims who get discouraged. Our Father, we thank you that from Genesis to Revelation, the scriptures remain applicable. They speak to our hearts because they're eternal truth. Father, if the truth be known, each of us have good reason to be discouraged this morning. We have not behaved as we should have behaved this week. We have said things that ought not to have been said. We have left unsaid things that we really should have said. We have been lovers of self more than lovers of others and lovers of God. And Father, Satan could use all that credible evidence of our sin to discourage us, cause us to doubt our very salvation. Father, we're encouraged that your word says that if we will return to you, you'll return to us. You'll visit upon us. Great blessing. So as we leave here today, may we understand that we are temples of the Holy Spirit and you're at work in us, that you are making us and molding us. You're reclaiming us image bearers of Christ. We're grateful. We love you. Pray that you would be pleased to continue that good work which you have begun. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.